Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Well Lit Pass. In our time together this week, we're going to cover an unprecedented two psalms, uh, Psalm 38 and 39. In these psalms, David reminds us how sinfully broken we are and teaches a very important lesson on victory. But first, how's your week? In our children's church, we started into a series on the whole armor of God. Uh, while it's something that we've probably heard many times over if we went to any kind of Christian church as kids, it's easy to gloss over and read past the truths in Ephesians 6. I find as we get older in our Christians' lives, it can become easy uh, to forget some fundamental Christian truths. One of the very basics is all of our sins are an offense and lead to broken fellowship with God. You know, it seems easy sometimes to gloss over the little white lies and excuses that may be deceptive or the speeding that we do. Maybe we get charged wrong in the checkout line and the bill is way less or less one item than we should have paid, but we just don't say anything. Or we bring home that uh, electronic item from work that no one was using anyway, and it was just sitting in the back of the closet. Even worse, maybe we're being paid to do a job that we're not doing when we're at work. Maybe we're wasting time surfing the internet or standing in the corner of our workplace uh, on our phone, just shopping on Amazon. And the cry may be, well, everyone does it. And I get it. It is easy to get into that mentality. We can even joke about how unengaged we are at church, and it gets, it gets a laugh from our fellow church members. But there's a dark truth here. It's still sin. The reality of the full weight of our sin is sometimes forgotten, I think, or lost on us. And I'm guilty of it as much as anyone. What we fail to realize sometimes is that sin compounds itself in our lives. Tolerating a small sin now can grow to tolerating a larger sin if the quote-unquote small sin goes unaddressed with our Heavenly Father. And before you know it, we've built a wall of sin we can hide behind, and it gets so high, we actually think God can't see the next brick we're making in our hearts to add to the wall of the broken relationship. You know, none of the sins in David's life were standalone. They were always compounds of smaller sins. And the one that he regretted the most and wrote about the most had dominoes that preceded it. In, Samuel, in 2 Samuel 9, we see David being honorable and keeping an oath he made before God to his friend Jonathan, who was Saul's son. When he brings Jonathan's son Mephibosheth to live with him in the king's house, he ensures that Mephibosheth, who's crippled, is taken care of for the rest of the days of his life. As we move on into chapter 10, David tries to keep a promise to the son of a former ally, and instead... The emissaries that he sends are shamed and sent back, ridiculed. In this chapter, David winds up bringing all the might of Israel against the Syrians, and as David chases them, 
he righteously slew 700 chariots full of men and 40,000 horsemen, as well as the captain of their army. God gave David the victory because of his faithfulness, his desire to do good, and to maintain the reputation of the God of Israel and how he defended its people. David had no problem suiting up and leading Israel into battle. Then we come to chapter 11, and it starts with, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now, it would seem from a cursory reading that David was being obedient to destroy the children of Ammon as God had commanded. But if you caught this was when kings go forth to battle. Yet David didn't go. David tarried or stayed lingering in Jerusalem. Not at his post as a king should be. The victory over the Syrians had made him complacent that God would give victory. He needn't lead the army for victory. But that wasn't really his choice. He wasn't where God wanted him to be. Now, it's possible that his pride, sin number one, led to his complacency, sin number two, led to his disobedience, sin number three, led to his idleness, which opened him up to temptation, led him to lust, sin number four, and led him to act on that lust in his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, sin number five. Dominoes. Our sin can be like dominoes. And we see them in stages. A minute sin leads to a small sin, leads to a medium sin, leads to a big sin, leads to a colossal sin. This is how it plays out in our minds but they're all equal sins. And that's why they progress so easily. In the Psalms that we're going to cover this week, we see David's recognition of the wretchedness of his sin and how he turns his face in repentance to a gracious God who loves him and hears him. Psalm 38, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I'm troubled. I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, 
it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Moving on to Psalm 39 and verse 1, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then spake I with my tongue. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Silah. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches, and knoweth not who shall gather them. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. Silah. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence and be no more. So I know that's a lot, but the theme is common. And the chapters are complementary to each other, so I felt led to tackle them together. Both chapters show David burdened by sin. As before, his sin was a crushing weight upon him. He recognizes his failure and cries to God to be merciful to him. God, who has been merciful before, and to God, who he knows will be merciful again. And in truth, as we study through the Psalms, this is the theme. We fail. We recognize we repent, God is good, 
God forgives. The Psalms we've covered before all fall into one of these categories, and some fall into every category. And when I look at these Psalms, I'm reminded in my life there was a time that I had turned from God. When I was caught up in repetitive sin. You know, in my early 20s, it was all about me. I was married to a loving wife. We had two kids. It wasn't enough for me. I looked beyond my marriage for fulfillment. They weren't decisions made all at once. Each failure had its own catalyst of events, its own dominoes. I didn't go where I was supposed to. I allowed my idleness to drive me to the wrong places. Well, I wasn't in God's will. I wasn't serving him, so I had too much time on my hands, and it led to thoughts and desires that had no place in the heart of a godly man. In my idleness, I sought diversion from the boredom. This led me to the wrong places. Bars, clubs, anywhere I could make myself the center of attention. My world at home wanted to revolve around me for me to be the center of their lives and me be the center of theirs with God over us all. But at the time, it wasn't enough for me. I was so blinded by the big M-E that I wanted more attention and the wrong kind. This led me to lust in my heart, and the lust would fester, and it would consume my bones. Before I knew it, the dominoes were stacked. The tipping point was near. Like David, wrong place and opportunity led to sin. But like David, I attempted to cover it up to, to excuse it. And it simply continued. And for years, I battled with God's will. Having my will was more important to me. I was at the forefront of every desire, every whim. I was selfish, just like David. I never considered the consequences, just like David. I didn't care who was hurt in the cover-up or in the action. Anyone was a better casualty than what I wanted for me. And even my marriage was a candidate to be one of those casualties. One day it became clear to me that something had to change. But I wasn't yet in the place David is in these Psalms. I was making an outside change, but it was so I could feel better about me. It was my duty, after all, and I could discipline myself for duty. But change wasn't real. I wasn't repentant. Crystal knew it. God knew it. Those around me knew it. I was making quote-unquote amends and doing the right things for the recognition. Oh, look at how much better a husband Tom has become. Until one night. See, one night, God came crashing in on me. All of my fakeness had been for nothing. I was still losing the battle for my marriage because I was trying to wage the battle on my own. 
I was on the precipice of loss, and I realized all of the things that I had been pretending mattered really did matter. I loved my wife. I loved my kids. That night, I felt what David describes. I was crushed. I'd been deaf to God's instructions, to his warnings. I'd been blind to the truths that had been taught to me, the truths in front of me. For the first time, my sins were putrid to me, and I finally saw them as the dirty, filthy things that they were. And even my shallow attempts at repairing my life were disgusting to me. This wasn't something I came to on my own. I had been doing everything on my own. The Holy Spirit was working in me. He was drawing me to the presence of the Father. He was drawing me to a repaired relationship with the one who loved me still, just the same as he always had. People had mocked my faith because I said I was a Christian and lived the way that I did. People had scoffed in times where I had tried to witness, giving no credence to my word because my life spoke louder than the gospel I tried to share with my lips. Like David in these Psalms, I was at my end. Like David, I finally, earnestly, broken and brought low, crushed by the weight of my failures, I let God work on my heart. I let God show me that he was still there, that he was still all-powerful. And I never saw it until now, but David sets the pattern for how we are to approach God, how we are to return to him. And in my moment of return, when God was restoring me to his full fellowship, I was on my hands and knees before him, and I cried out in the pattern that David provides us here. Not because I knew it, but because the Holy Spirit guided my heart to the right way to approach the Father. At the end of Psalm 38, David says, Be with me. Not because God had ever left him. God is always near to us. But we numb ourselves to his presence the more we let sin abound in our lives. In his time of repentance, David knew that he needed the nearness of the Lord to be able to turn and to keep turning from the sin that had broken his fellowship, from the sin that had broken his life. No matter what we've done, we need his presence. We can return to him. And David had committed murder. God still wanted a restored relationship with him. When we look back at Cain after he killed Abel and God finds him, throughout that whole conversation, God is giving Cain an opportunity to come clean and to repent. All Cain would have had to do in that moment was to fall on his knees and cry out to God for forgiveness, and his story would have been different. 
We need God to be with us, and we need him to be near us. We can be in his presence, but just at an arm's length. We can be in close proximity, but not in close fellowship. God wants us to be near him, not just to be with us. So near that we need to just turn to cry on his shoulder, just turn to praise him to his face. So near that he can wrap his arms around us without reaching. That when we fall, we never hit the ground. But we have to invite him near with our repentance. We can only sense his presence when we let go of the sin in our lives. We can only draw near to him when we repent of those sins. David says, make haste to help me. Lord, since I've acknowledged my sin and I've repented of my sin, help me not to feel the shame of my sin and to not return to my sin. We're weak. We need his help. We can't turn away on our own. We can't keep ourselves from the sins that so easily beset us. As Paul instructs us in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's so difficult for us to remember that our weapons are not physical, fleshly weapons. The full armor is what we've been equipped with, and it is, this, it is with this armor that we fight. We need his help to put them on, because without his help, our armor just sits in the corner. It collects dust, and we can forget that it's there. And like the treadmill in our bedroom that becomes the hanger for our laundry, the armor we've been given becomes a laundry line for our sin when we fail to pick it up and with God's help, put it on. Once we have it on, we can lean on Christ's help, on his power to cast down every vain thing we can think of, those things that exalt us and overshadow his importance in our hearts. It's only in his help that we can bring our desires, our lust, our covetousness, our pettiness, our pride, our ego, our flesh into captivity. Under the captivity of the help and the power of Christ, is anything able to withstand the helping hand of our God? David says, don't forsake me, be with me. Be not far from me be near me. Make haste to help me. Lord, help me. These are the first three basic cries we need to cry to the Father when we recognize we've sinned and seek forgiveness from him. And in Psalm 39, David gives us the final three. In verse 7, he says, my hope is in thee. And moving to verse 8, deliver me from my transgressions. God alone can deliver us. He's with us. He's near us. 
He is our sure help, and it is in him that we can hope, a sure expectation that he will deliver us from our transgressions. Well, Tom, I I don't know that I'll ever have victory over this sin in my life. Where is our hope? Yes, we've acknowledged, we've repented, we've asked for help, but is it our sure expectation that Christ will deliver us from that sin? You know, every sin I've ever struggled with, every sin I've ever fallen into, I never had victory over them until I believed and had the sure expectation that Christ had already won the victory over them for me. Do I still struggle with sin? Yes, every day. I still sin. My flesh keeps coming up with new ways to entice me to sin, to draw me into sin, because my heart, like yours, is deceitful and desperately wicked. It can come up with ways to lead us to sin like nothing else around us can, not even the principalities that we war against. But praise God, there are a few sins. There are a few struggles that I've had in my life, and I know you can say that you've had in your life, that God has removed from our lives. Now, we still have to resist him, and we still have to lean into him and rest on his nearness and ready help to claim his victory over him. But when we hope in his salvation that frees us from those sins, our story can be a story of victory. In verse 12 and 13, David gives his final instruction under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, because you are my hope, hear my prayer, hear my cry. Don't ignore my tears when these sins raise their ugly heads again in my life. When I want to claim victory myself, hear my prayer and keep me humble. When my lips want to tell others that their sin is silly or when I can't understand why they struggle with that, help me to remember my tears over my own sin and that you answered when I was broken. I felt the chastisement for the sin in my life and it moved me to tears, says David. Help me to remember that brokenness when my flesh tempts me to sin once again. And finally, in verse 13, David acknowledges, as should we, even though it's only in your grace, Lord, that I can approach, help me to recover my strength and restore me to full fellowship. Lord, as you strengthen me and draw me close, make me stronger than before. I know that I've been spared the full wrath of your judgment. I know that you could have destroyed me like the heathen. Instead, David says, your love corrected me. When I look back that night that I was finally broken enough to come to God for the help I so desperately needed, the correction of the Lord was evident in my life. It had been building and I'd been ignoring it. And he could have taken it all from me long before that. Like David, what the Holy Spirit caused me to recognize is that while the lost sinner would only ever experience the judgment of God for his sins, 
I was experiencing the correction of God because of his love for me. As Christians, it's so important that we realize that while God does correct us, it's out of the abundance of his love that he does so. With David, God could have killed him for his sin and for the murderous cover-up. And God would have been justified in doing so according to the law that he had given Israel. But David recognized the mercy of God. In his brokenness, in his wallowing, in his guilt, he came to the place where he realized that everything he was experiencing was God correcting him. The only way to no longer feel this way was to get on his knees and make it right with his heavenly father. And as we close our time together, maybe there's a sin in your life that's been plaguing you. And maybe it's not murder or adultery or or lust, but it's something. Something you haven't repented of, something you haven't let go of, and you recognize that some struggles in your life have been the result of God's correction. Maybe it's time to let go and get on your knees and ask God, be with me. Be near me. Help me. You're my hope. Hear my prayer. Restore me. He will. He's been waiting. And like a good father, he'll wrap his arms around you. We're always just one prayer away from his presence. Thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week and we'll walk just a little further? If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.